turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. We're talking about baptism today, what it is and what it is not, and who it is applied to and why. Join us, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner, coming right up. As we've been working our way through the book of Luke, we have come across chapter 18, verses 13 through 17, and our children, and how they relate to the covenant of grace, which takes us then to the subject of baptism. Do we baptize our children? Why or why not? And what's involved in this baptism? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, hold the keys to the questions that we've just posed. The nature of baptism is the subject of our time today. Join us with this edition of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. The thing of first importance in our lives is not our baptism. It is our union with Jesus Christ through faith which he brings. Baptism means nothing without that union. Baptism does not create that union, but it does presuppose it. It signifies it. It seals it to us. It reassures us of it, and it strengthens us in it. So the thing of first importance is to make sure, not through baptism, but to make sure you have been brought into union with Jesus Christ through faith in Him. But the thing of second importance is that if you are really and truly in Christ, you will want to be baptized, and you realize, that living unbaptized is to be living in a disobedient state. Why would someone who's in union with, with Christ want to be baptized? Because Christ commands it of him. Because it strengthens his faith in Christ. And because it publicly identifies him with the body of Christ. Now I want us to move to a subject that is basic to this whole discussion And that is the subject of the relationship between baptism and circumcision. One of the reasons, in fact, probably the basic reason that we baptize babies is because we believe the Bible teaches that circumcision was fulfilled in baptism. And that everyone who had a right to circumcision in the Old Testament has a right to be baptized in the New Testament. That is, those who made a profession of faith in Christ and their children. Turn with me, if you will, to the 17th chapter of Genesis. And I'm going to read several verses. Because I'm going to talk to you a great deal about circumcision to help you understand its spiritual value and its place in Old Testament Israel, which I am sure will help you appreciate baptism all the more. Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way over to verse 14. Please Listen carefully. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 
The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham, or Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of these, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. <coughs> and he that is eight days old, shall be circumcised among you every man-child in your generation. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought within, with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken... My covenant. Now let's talk a minute about the meaning and the function of circumcision and the rules for administering circumcision to help you better understand baptism. First of all, circumcision was more than just a national badge or identity marker. Israel actually was not the only nation to practice circumcision. But in Israel, it was symbolic of the highest, most spiritual blessing God ever afforded to his people in the covenant. In fact, Old Testament circumcision symbolized very important things. Three, as a matter of fact. It symbolized a person's union with Jehovah. It symbolized the renewal of the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was a sign and a seal of justification by faith and the removal of guilt of the guilt of sin. In Genesis 17, God says, I've made a covenant with you down through your generations, and here is what I want you to do to give testimony to that. Bear the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. So here you see, first of all, circumcision was a sign and a seal of our union and fellowship with the living God down through the generations. Secondly, <clears throat> it was a sign and a seal of spiritual rebirth, regeneration, and sanctification. Turn to Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. <clears throat> Remember that in sacramental language, they would sometimes use the name of the visual sign for the spiritual reality that that visual sign signified. And it was because of the close connection between the two. And Deuteronomy 36 says, 
Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. So physical circumcision signified circumcision of the heart. That cutting off of the old, the renewal of the inner core of the person's life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then thirdly, it was a sign and a seal of justification by faith and the forgiveness of sins. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4, and we'll read verses 10 and 11. Romans chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or while he was uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, justification by faith, which he had while uncircumcised. So it wasn't circumcision, it was the sign of the covenant that brought him forgiveness of sin. It wasn't the sign, sorry, of the covenant that brought him forgiveness of sins. It wasn't circumcision. It was given to him through faith that was given to him by God. Circumcision was a sign and a seal of that righteousness that he possessed through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you see the threefold meaning of circumcision. A sign of our union with Jehovah, a sign of the renewal of the heart by the Holy Spirit, and a sign of the forgiveness of sins through faith in the cleansing blood of the Lamb of God. These are also, beloved, the three exact meanings of baptism in the New Testament. Baptism in the New Testament means the same thing as circumcision in the Old Testament. Baptism is symbolic of our union with God, the triune God, which we see in Matthew 28, 19. Baptism is symbolic of the cleansing new birth and the sanctification of our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is also a sign and a seal of our justification by faith. So circumcision and baptism mean the same thing. Now, what was the function of circumcision in the Old Testament? What was it meant to do? Well, first of all, circumcision was a sign and seal of God's gracious covenant and blessings to us. It was a means of grace whereby God's blessings and His love was displayed to us. Secondly, it was a means of distinguishing God's people from the rest of the world. And thirdly, It was a public admission of the person circumcised into the visible congregation of the Lord, the covenant community. So the functions of circumcision are identical to the functions of baptism in the New Testament. Baptism is a sign and seal of God's covenant. It is a means of distinguishing us from the rest of the world. And it is our public admission into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there were two rules for administering circumcision in the Old Testament. The first one was that all adult males upon profession of faith in our covenant Lord and Savior should be circumcised. 
Then secondly, all the males in a believer's household, being the joint heirs with the head of the family, were also to receive the sign of circumcision, including those who neither understood nor professed covenant religion. For instance, look back at Genesis 17, verse 12. It says, Every male among you who is eight days old. This person, of course, had no idea what was going on in circumcision. Who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant, a slave who was brought, bought with money, any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who was born in your house, who was bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So all the males were dependent upon the head of the household, made up that household, the entire house of males. So when a person made a confession of faith, he was circumcised, and all of the males, including his slaves, were circumcised. Those were the two rules by which circumcision was to be administered. Now, I want you to notice there were not two kinds of circumcision here. There was not adult circumcision and infant circumcision, as if they meant two different things. There was one circumcision. It had the same mode and the same meaning and the same function for adults and for children. Whatever circumcision signified and sealed to elect adults, it signified and sealed to elect infants. And the same is true with baptism today. I mean, what are the two rules for administering baptism? When someone makes a profession of faith, his whole household is to be baptized. We don't believe in an adult baptism and an infant baptism because it is not taught in Scripture. We believe in baptism that is to be applied to those who give a credible confession of faith and his entire household. And whatever it means, beloved, for the adult, it means the same thing for the children. Now notice another thing about circumcision in the Old Testament. The sign of the covenant in the Old Testament, because it was a sign of an everlasting covenant, was to be permanent. Turn back to Genesis 17 and notice what God said clearly in a variety of ways to Abraham. He said in verse 7, I will establish my covenant between you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and your descendants after you, an everlasting covenant. That's the command that God has given for those who make a profession of faith and their descendants. To bear the sign of the covenant is an everlasting covenant and is a permanent command. Nowhere in the Old Testament or in the New Testament is that command been abrogated or annulled. And since it is the unchangeable law of God that those who profess faith in Him and their household should receive the sign of the covenant, We must assume that command is still in force today and it remains, beloved, our duty and our privilege as individuals and as parents to obey it so that if anyone refuses to obey it with reference to himself or his children, he is living in direct disobedience to the living God. Now one thing that cannot be disputed is that when we come to the New Testament 
And we see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ grow after the day of Pentecost as the apostles go all over the known world. We find that circumcision fades out of the picture and baptism comes to the forefront. So that the apostles in the New Testament do with baptism what the patriarchs did with circumcision in the Old Testament. So that baptism has the same meaning in the New Testament as circumcision has in the Old Testament. Baptism has the same function as circumcision. Baptism has the same rules for administration. And baptism signifies no higher, more spiritual blessing than what circumcision signified. So that the sign of the covenant continued to be given. But the sign itself changed. The command is permanent, but the sign changed. You can't argue with that. The early church quit circumcision for religious reasons in the New Testament and began baptizing. Now, why is that? Baptism replaced circumcision in the life of the church because baptism was the fulfillment of circumcision as the sign of the covenant. That's an historical fact, as well as a doctrinal truth revealed in the New Testament. Baptism replaced circumcision. Adult converts are now baptized as well as their entire household. Think about this. There is not one example in the New Testament of someone being raised in a Christian home, being baptized on profession of faith. Now, you would think that those who only believe in baptism or profession of faith who would, would need something in the New Testament to show that the version of baptism, not baptizing babies, but only those by profession of faith, that they could find something in the New Testament as an illustration. But they cannot. There's no illustration anywhere of someone being raised in a Christian home and then later being baptized on profession of faith. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. And in him... And he's talking now, beloved, to the congregation, men, women, young and old. You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now here is the passage that we base our belief on that baptism is the fulfillment of circumcision. That as circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism is now the sign and the seal of regeneration and the cleansing of sin's defilement by the Holy Spirit of God. Just as literal circumcision in the Old Testament indicated a circumcision of the heart, so now literal water baptism indicates and symbolizes a circumcision of the heart. Just as Deuteronomy 36 said that the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, so Colossians 2.11 speaks of the Christian being circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You see, Paul is telling them 
that baptism is the sign and the seal of the circumcision by Christ of the heart that everyone in the church has experienced, both men and women. The transformation of the heart, a spiritual renewal. Baptism now is the sign and the seal of that circumcision of the heart made without hands. So Paul can speak of all the members of the church, men and women, as those who are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and in the glory of Jesus Christ, but put no confidence in the flesh. Notice there Paul says, that you were also circumcised, having been buried with him in baptism. There's a lot of controversy about that. Now, once again, you need to understand sacramental language to understand these words because of the close union between the sign and what it signifies. Paul frequently uses the name of the external symbol in place of the internal spiritual reality that it signifies. So when he speaks of us being buried with Christ and raised with Christ in verse 12, he's referring to our union with Christ, our union with his death and resurrection, which union is signified and sealed to us in baptism. Baptism signifies and seals once again this vital union to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 12, through faith in the working of God. So when the visible signs are received externally, the spiritual reality and the benefit of Christ's death and resurrection they signify are received by faith at that point in time or at a later time. So then we learn about baptism from Colossians 12 that the true inner circumcision of the heart is accomplished by Christ manifested in faith and sealed sacramentally by baptism. Second, baptism is the sign and the spiel of that and, and uh, seal of that spiritual circumcision that has been wrought in every believer and which the New Testament describes as being born of God. And thirdly, water baptism has appropriately succeeded circumcision as the sign of the covenant. Randy Booth said, circumcision looked forward to the saving work of the Redeemer. Baptism looks back on the completed work on the cross. So children of believers, being the heirs of the covenant, have a right to be baptized, just as every baby eight days old and above in a person's home in the Old Testament had a right to circumcision. It's my prayer today, beloved, that the sermon to, has cleared up some of your misunderstandings about baptism. And next week, Lord willing, as we baptize Destiny, Danielle, and Noah Arazo, we will explain the purposes for our baptism. Amen. Let us pray. We do thank you, our God, for the great gift you have given us in baptism. We thank you for working it out in your special providence for us and our households to be baptized. 
We thank you, O Lord, that baptism did fully everything that circumcision was meant to show. And we thank you for the unity of your covenant, for the unity of your dealings with your people, for the way Christ has changed things for us and caused us to be in an even greater and more glorious position in him under the new covenant than were your people in the old covenant. Lord, it is a privilege to be in the new covenant which we will be thanking you for eternally. Thank you for that covenant relationship in which you are our God and we are your people down through our generations in an everlasting covenant. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607 We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.